It is time for the Michigan Wolverines to play for another trophy. However, danger lurks with perhaps the biggest game of the season so far just a week away. Welcome to Episode 9 of Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond, Assistant Sports Editor at the Detroit Free Press. On this journey, we are taking you game by game, week by week, to give you the inside look at how the 1997 Michigan Wolverines captured their share of a national title. This week, Michigan hosts longtime rival, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. The trophy they're playing for? It's the Little Brown Jug. Dating back to the late 1800s, Michigan and Minnesota have battled on the field, but up until 1903, the game hadn't carried much weight for either program. An important moment for both programs, the rivalry, and college football would soon take place. What happens when you mix paranoia, a forgetful manager, and 20,000 fans going nuts at a football game? You get the origins of the battle for the Little Brown Jug. In a 1903 game, Michigan head coach Fielding Yost was worried that Minnesota would taint his team's water supply. So he asked an equipment manager to go to a local store and get a jug for the game. A Minnesota team battled the mighty Michigan squad to a 6-6 tie. However, fans at the stadium in Minnesota were so rabid they stormed the field with two minutes left to go in the game. The game was called off and Michigan returned to Ann Arbor without their jug. The controversy is, did Michigan forget their jug or did Minnesota steal it? Michigan's manager, Thomas Roberts, would state years later that the jug served its purpose and Michigan didn't need it anymore. Some say Minnesota either stole it or a custodian found it and Minnesota decided to keep it as a personal trophy. So much so that they put the 6-6 tie on it just to add in that little extra touch. The two teams didn't meet again until 1909. As a sign of good sporting nature between the two schools, Minnesota suggested that the two schools play for the jug. Michigan agreed. So starting in 1909, the two schools have played for the Little Brown Jug ever since. Its iconic design has gone through a few makeovers. The jug is painted with the maize and blue of Michigan on one side and the maroon and gold of Minnesota on the other. Split right down the middle are the scores of each game. Since that day, the jug became a trophy. If you want the complete story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines, the Free Press is publishing a commemorative book. Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines can be purchased at um.pictorialbook.com. Minnesota's best years in football were behind them. Since 1968, the Gophers had beaten Michigan just twice, and that last victory came in 1986. In 1997, Minnesota hired Glenn Mason, the former head coach at the University of Kansas. His task? Dragging Minnesota out of the Big Ten cellar. The Gophers hadn't reached a bowl game since 1986, and it would be two more seasons until they would make the postseason. 
As for the 1997 team, following a 2-1 start, Minnesota enters the Michigan game losers of five straight games. The latest loss coming courtesy of rival Wisconsin, a game the Gophers were defeated 22-21. From one rival to the next, could the Gophers test Michigan the way they tested Wisconsin? We find out next when I am joined by Gene Myers, former sports editor at the Detroit Free Press, when Road to the Victors returns after this break. Welcome back to Road to the Victors. I am joined by Gene Myers, former sports editor at the Free Press, as we talk about Michigan versus Minnesota. Gene, the Minnesota program is decent and competitive these days, but there was a time in the late 80s up until really the early 2000s where this program was truly among one of the worst in college football. Why do you think that a place like Minnesota that has been successful in both men's and women's basketball, wrestling, so many other sports, but football in a great football state like Minnesota just put together just these 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 terrible teams that that, that came along in the late 80s into the early 2000s? Well, that's a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked me that. And I did a little research on the Gophers, and I'll bet this would shock Michigan fans. The Gophers have twice as many AP national championships as the Wolverines. Oh, Gene, we can't we 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 can't say that. Now we can't be speaking factual on this podcast about <laughs> Michigan and Minnesota. <laughs> well, I'm going to. I'm going to anyway. Drew. Uh, First of all, in the history lesson, Minnesota was Michigan's really first great rival back in the early days of the 20th century with Fielding Yost. And Michigan and Minnesota played lots of really important games. Uh, when the first AP poll came out to determine a national champion, that was in 1936. The Gophers won that. They did again in 40 and 41. And they did again in 1960. That's their four. AP officially only recognizes two for Michigan. That was in 97, which we're talking about, and 48. Now, Michigan claims the 47 one because of the after-the-season special poll about Notre Dame. But AP officially only recognizes Notre Dame. So the Gophers have had a great history. And pretty much after World War II, they kind of collapsed. Uh, and that's interesting in how they, you know, came to be terrible, like in a lot of the 80s, early 90s, and actually uh, good parts of the 70s, too. Uh, and I think it goes with a lot of football programs that unless you're truly unique and in a talent Talent, a pool of talent is readily available. It is really hard once you're elite and if you're not to become elite again. And you can say, oh, where are the talent pools? We know in the South, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Georgia. And if you're there, you have a huge advantage. And if you're in Minnesota and even Michigan to a large extent, you don't have that advantage and you have to work a lot harder. 
And the Gophers, once they weren't that good, uh, in the 50s, they hired a coach in 54. His name was Murray, last name spelled W-A-R-M-A-T-H. I presume it's pronounced warmth or warmth or something like that. He was there for 18 years. I, I looked this up. In his fifth year, he won one and eight. That was 1958. His sixth year, he went two and seven. That was 1959. How many coaches these days would still be employed if in their six years, <laughs> sixth year, they went two and seven? His next right. year. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, well, in his crazy. next year, he went eight and two and they won the national championship. So how that happened, that's one of the most incredible turnarounds in football history. Then they were decent for a few years. Uh, in 67, they won eight and two again, won their a Big Ten title. That's the last Big Ten title Minnesota has won. They didn't win eight games again until 1999. So they went more than 30 years without winning eight games. Uh, this coach, Murray, uh, was there 18 years from 54 to 71. At the end of his 18 years, he was all of nine games above 500. That's like half a game a year. Like no one would stay around that long these days. And basically, they stayed with a coach too long. Uh, they didn't have the advantage of being a rich recruiting area. And in a lot of ways, you know, it wasn't as important to them as it is other places. And again, once you fall, it's hard to get back. And it's why, let's take Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Why, when you're in that situation, you need a special coach to do it. And midway through his second year, his second year, he gets a $95 million extension because people think he's a special. Uh, D'Antonio was a special People didn't realize it right away, but he turned out to be. And then he fell off. So it's, it's just really hard. And Minnesota, you know, uh, since this guy Murray left, Glenn Mason, who was in his first year in this game against Michigan, he's the only coach that had a winning record who left in all that time, in 50-plus years. Now, P.J. Fleck has one right now, but he's not done yet. So, you know, it just shows that it's hard. <laughs> and everyone, everyone needs to appreciate that. In Minnesota, you know, why they fell, <laughs> they just did. And, right. You know. <laughs> it's, 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 it's fascinating because you look at a program like Minnesota and, you know, they don't, you know, well, for a time and really in their down years, they were playing in uh, what is it? Uh, the Hubert H. Humphrey Dome or the, the Metrodome. <laughs> yes. And so it's not appealing to recruits. Yeah, you get to play in an NFL stadium, but it was a cookie cutter dome for, you know, lack of a better term. And so when you look at where Minnesota is now, they have an on campus stadium. They are embracing, you know, the fact that teams have to come up north to play them in October, October, November, December. And, and for some reason, that's appealing. You have to have a coach. You have to, you have, to have a young and dynamic coach yes. like a P.J. Fleck that helps, you know, with recruiting, getting these guys out of 
you know, Florida, Georgia, Texas, uh, and into those recruiting battles with not just the Michigans and the Penn States and the Ohio States of the world, but just the the Michigan states and the Maryland's and 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 the Iowa's and Wisconsin's, of course. So it's just very fascinating to see a program like that go from you know moderate success to just the complete rock bottom. Now they're an average program, yeah. I'd say maybe in the top, you know, 35, 45 programs in 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 college football now, but on to the game. Following a Minnesota field goal, Charles Woodson finds the end zone to give the Wolverines a lead they would not relinquish. Here is the call from Frank Beckman and Jim Brandstatter on WJR and the Michigan Radio Network. Greasy calling the signals, drops back, gives the ball to Howard on a reverse to Woodson going left. He's got a convoy in front of him. Touchdown to the 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Michigan! Charles Woodson, 33 yards on the reverse, and who throws a key block for him? None other than Brian Greasy, the quarterback. And Ty Streets. Ty Streets was way downfield, and he just kept fighting and fighting. You want to talk about how a guy just continues to sustain a block? Well, the block was on the safety, Tyrone Carter, and Streets just wouldn't lose contact. Greasy got him free in the secondary, and then it was Ty Streets who got him into the end zone. First play of the second quarter, the Wolverines have the lead. Gene, he's done it again. He's done it on defense, but now he does it on offense with a 33-yard touchdown run by Charles Woodson in the second quarter, basically giving Michigan a lead they would not give up. As you've watched Woodson's play throughout the season, he's increasingly becoming a Heisman candidate. You add in the interception that he had last week. At this point in the season where we're entering – the the true stretch run, I like to call it the Heisman moment stretch run for guys. Is he your front runner at this point? You know, I would have to say absolutely not. And basically, to me, Woodson was never the front runner ever, mm. I don't think. And that's fascinating. And it and especially at the time, you have to remember, no defensive player had won it. There was so much hype for Peyton Manning that year. And that was just incredible. And what people nowadays, because I know Woodson won, they remember, oh, there was all the hype for Peyton. But Manning actually had a great season. He had a spectacular season. And in a lot of ways, you know, he came back for his senior year. He faced all this pressure. He faced all this hype. He had a bad game against Florida uh, in the middle of the season, which hurt him. But other than that, he had a spectacular year at a time when it's not like today. Quarterbacks didn't routinely throw for three, four, or five touchdowns every game. And he was doing that. I mean, the outliers at the time, like sometimes Miami did it, sometimes BYU did it. But to have a school like Tennessee, you know, a powerful school from a big conference, like run an offense that was so, you know, had such a good aerial attack. That didn't exist at that time. So he did everything you would think he needed to do to be the Heisman Trophy winner or leader. And Woodson, you know, 
progressed steadily. And the Minnesota game was actually really, really important in his candidacy because the week before he had made two interceptions against Michigan State, including the incredible one-handed pick that was just shown forever on all the highlight shows. So you go to the next week, Michigan plays this Minnesota. And this was really a pretty boring game. And when I did the research for the Hill, yes, uh, 25 year later book, this is the one game I couldn't really remember anything about. Until <laughs> kind of was so, it was after the Michigan State game, before the Penn State game. And right. it wasn't a very exciting game. But when Woodson scored on the, uh, the rush, that was really important because that was the highlight from the Michigan game on all the shows. And here was Woodson, and he was doing something different. He hadn't scored on a rushing touchdown. He had a passing, receiving touchdown, and he had interceptions. But this was something different, and that was pretty much the lone highlight of this game you could show on ESPN. But it just put his name out there again. It's like, oh, and hey, look what Woodson did this week. And while in the big picture, it was just a little slice, but it came at just the right time. And he would just keep doing things that would get him in the highlights the rest of the way. And when he ran that punt back against Ohio State in the regular season finale, I remember being at the stadium thinking like, I don't know that he can win this, but he's going to be up there. And this is this. He's got a shot. Now. That was like the first time I thought he could actually do it. And I know on last week's podcast, Terry Foster talked about you couldn't fathom him doing it because it had never been done. And you knew he might well be the best player in college football, but it had never been done. And he needed everything to fall right. And just that one play against the Gophers helped immensely because that kept his name there for another week of, hey, you see what Charles Woodson did? Oh, yeah, Peyton Manning may have thrown for five touchdowns, but, you know, hey, he did that two weeks ago. Look what, man, look what Woodson did. So uh, I think it was really important. And uh, a side note to that, uh, the Wolverines had a number of injuries in that game. Actually, before the game or during the game, they lost Chris Floyd. They lost Clarence Williams. They lost Jermaine Tooman. They lost Ty Streets, and they lost Ray Jackson. Woodson played 16 offensive plays. It was by far a season high. And he actually, his post-game comments were pretty amazing because after he scored, he said, the coaches keep telling me every week that I'm going to get the chance to run plays like that. This time, they were telling the truth. <laughs> and so not only did he make this great play, it's like he then enhanced it by, you know, he said the right things, and it's like, ah, he was personable. You know, it just helped his candidacy, besides helping Michigan, because they're, they, they really had a, a really not great offensive game in that game. But maybe we'll talk about that more. Absolutely. And uh, Michigan dominates Minnesota for most of the first half, adding another touchdown before the break. This time, it's a Brian Greasy to Mark Campbell 12-yard score to make it 14-3 Michigan at the break. When we come back, Michigan looks to close out Minnesota, setting up an epic weekend ahead. This is Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. 
We are back with Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm joined by Gene Myers, former sports editor at the Free Press. We are talking about Michigan's battle with Minnesota. Michigan leads Minnesota 14-3 at halftime. We have reached a point in Michigan's season where there's absolute domination by the Wolverines. Each week, no matter who the opponent is, really at this point. Michigan's Anthony Thomas slams the door on Minnesota with a 29-yard touchdown run. Running play, counter play, right side, Thomas burst through to the 20, to the sideline, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Michigan! 29 yards for Anthony Thomas, and the Wolverines have a 20-3 lead, and that looked like Kevin Bryant downfield, who made the last block for him. One of the hallmarks of Michigan football, wide receivers block. That time, Lamanzer Williams, one of the great linebackers in this league, just overran the play. And Anthony Thomas busted it up inside of him, and Bryant downfield made the block on the last guy, and Thomas went into the end zone. The Wolverines dominate Minnesota, just outright blasting them 24-3. Now, the true gauntlet begins. If Michigan wants to stay not only in the national championship race, but the Big Ten race, they'll need to win three games against three of the best teams in the league, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Now, two of these games are on the road. Following Minnesota, did you sense that there was more belief entering those three games, those final three games of the season, more than at any point during the season? Or did you need two, maybe even one more game to become a believer in this team? You know, that was really interesting at the time because it was obvious to everyone that this was a really, really, really good team. And because of just, you know, even going back to the Schembechler days, there was always that little stumble at some point. You had to worry, but you knew this defense was incredible. Uh, I want to talk a little about the defense, but also about the offense, which is the reason you worried a bit. And it, you knew that the Penn State game, Penn State was number two in the country, was going to be on the road. It was going to be, it was going to make or break the season. Even though after that, Wisconsin and Ohio State would be maybe just as hard. But after they, the Gophers, all right, this is what, their first-year coach, Glenn Mason, had to say about Michigan's defense. Michigan's defense is a cut above. When I say a cut above, I am not just talking about defenses that I have seen this year. I am talking about over the last 25 years. In that game against the Gophers, Gophers went 75 yard, 72 yards and five plays on their first drive. They finished with 102 yards, just 12 passing, and only 10 yards of offense in the second half. They had one first down in the second half, and that was on a questionable pass interference call. So in a close game, Michigan just just totally, (laughs) totally shut them down. So that's how uh, you never thought Michigan was going to lose. But the offense, meanwhile, they lost a fumble and an interception inside the 10. They missed a short field goal. 
they just really didn't get going. And they had a ton of penalties, which they'd been having all season. And after this game, they had 11 for 87. And Lloyd Carr said, we've done everything I know to do to be a team that doesn't commit a lot of penalties. Okay. He'd been saying that all year. They still were committing penalties. The offense had this problem. And you just knew with this defense, they can compete with anyone. But what if the offense didn't come through? And, you know, in any game, you could have a block punt, a punt return, an interception that's a pick six. Something fluky could happen. And could Michigan recover? You didn't really know. That was the big issue, even though you thought this is possible. This really is possible. But you always had that little doubt. And Greasy, Brian Greasy, who had a really rough day, he was also sacked three times. So uh, he said, it's okay. We're going to be okay. And they were talking about the Penn State game. And Greasy said, we've lost to them three years in a row. So we definitely have something to go to happy into Happy Valley and fight for. And it's like everyone knew that next game was so important. And even Woodson, who had a great game against Minnesota, had the best comment going into the Penn State game where he said, I haven't had a ring since I've been here and I really want one. I want a big fat ring with a lot of diamonds. And that sort of became a quote that sort of hung over the rest of the season. Woodson wanted his big fat ring with a lot of diamonds. And it just set the stage for, you know, what figured to be the key game against Penn State, which if they would win, would set up more key games. But it all rode on that game. That gauntlet we have discussed begins on a day that ESPN aptly named Judgment Day 1997. For the first time since 1971, four of the five top teams in the country would play each other. Number two Penn State hosts Michigan in the afternoon, and in the nightcap, it was number three Florida State traveling to face number five North Carolina. Meanwhile, the top-ranked Nebraska Cornhuskers traveled to face a 6-3 Missouri team a team that had received votes in both the AP and coaches' polls entering that game. The Huskers were a 29-point favorite. Meanwhile, in Happy Valley, Penn State was a 2.5-point favorite over Michigan. By the end of next Saturday, a wild and epic day would forever change the course of college football history, but more on that next week. Before we go, our guest has been Gene Myers. Game audio has been provided by WJR and the Michigan Radio Network. Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford are the executive producers of this podcast. Kerry Jr. II and Robin Chan provide technical support. Peter Batia is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Road to the Victors on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming app of choice. And find us at freep.com slash podcast. Please subscribe, leave a rating, and tell your friends about us. It really does help. 
For more information on the 1997 Michigan team, pre-order the book, Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines at freep.com. I'm Andrew Hammond, and we'll see you next week.